This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour, David Amber stops by, host of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Tonight, a pair of games, the uh, San Jose Sharks facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. Also, the Edmonton Oilers taking on the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the Sharks-Jets game on Sportsnet 1, the other on Sportsnet. Meantime, it's five the wrong way for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not that concerned. We've seen this before from the Tampa Bay Lightning around this type of time of year. The only thing that troubles me is the status of Victor Hedman and his apparent injury. For more on these stories, Ed Encina joins me now from the Tampa Bay Times. He covers, after all, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Ed, thanks so much for stopping by today. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Uh, the, the, the pleasure is mine. So... I've been making this point ever since, you know, since the the loss of the uh, to the Carolina Hurricanes yesterday, and it was a disappointing one. And I'm not used to, you know, not seeing the Tampa Bay Lightning get a shot on goal for an entire period, but there it was. Right. I I'm not I I can't bring myself Ed to be concerned. Like I, I really can't. Like we've seen this movie from Tampa before. Um, if I'm the Tampa Bay Lightning or a Lightning fan, I say to myself, "Okay, it's March 6th. I'd rather have this now than in late April." Um, I just, I, I just can't begin to even contemplate writing off the Tampa Bay Lightning. And as I mentioned in the intro, the only thing that does concern me is the, is the status of Victor Hedman. Do you have a thought on both those issues, the five-game losing streak and Hedman's injury? Yeah, for sure. And you're right. I mean, the one thing about this team is that they've kind of earned the benefit of the doubt because they have gone through stretches like this, like you said. And, you know, this is the time of the year, as we all know, that, like, you know, teams that are kind of on their way to the postseason, they – they kind of hit some, you know, some some road bumps. And you know, for the Lightning, this is a tough part of their schedule because, you know, while it seems that they have, you know, a good spot in, in the in the postseason locked up here, um, you know, they're playing a lot of hungry teams, a lot of teams that are fighting for playoff spots, scrapping for those last, you know, few spots in the, um, yep. you know, in the Eastern Conference. And so, you know, I, I don't think they get bored this time of year, but I do think that it, it's kind of tough to hone in that focus. Now, having said that, like you said, the one thing that they have uh, avoided is a serious injury to one of their you know, star players. You know, they've they've gone through spans where they played. I mean, we all know they played throughout the entire season without Nikita Kucherov. You know, there's been times uh, long stretches without Braden Point, obviously without Steven Stamkos. Um, you know, during their their cup run, you know, the first time. So, you know, they haven't had to go through that, and I think that's probably the biggest test right now. Is you know, Victor Hedman is their top defenseman. Um, he hasn't had the best of years this year but he's still Victor Hedman. And at the end of the day, a team without him is, uh, you know, is definitely a depleted team. And like you said, you, you, you add that onto what happens at this time of the year, which is you know, you're kind of experimenting a little bit with lines and trying to find the right mix because you've added a couple guys. And, and that's what they've done with Taylor, you know, and uh, you know, Mikey Isamont. So you're trying to see where those guys fit with your existing group. And then you get an injury like that and you're not playing as well, especially, you know, in your own end, which I think has been really the key here, is that they just haven't been the kind of the same team, focus-wise, assignment-wise, um, in their own end. And I think what you're seeing right now is kind of a team that has lost a little bit of its swagger. But um, you know, like Steven Santos said after the game last night, you know, this is you know, this is something that every hockey player has gone through at some point, whether it's with this team or another team. So, you know, it's a process, and you got to get 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 your way back out of it and kind of you know, fight your way back in. But, um, you know, until they don't, I think, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning are a team that you got to give them the benefit of the doubt that they'll be able to do it because, you know, they've done it so many times. You know, the the benching on Saturday was an interesting Mm -hmm. one because it wasn't just one player. It was was Kucherov. It was Point. It was Stamkos. It was, you know, three of the three of the headline makers that, to be quite honest, you know, around the Tampa Bay Lightning, when it comes to the conversation about the about Tampa, um, they take up a lot of the oxygen. They they really do. These are, as we all know, these are these are headline players. Um, we've seen Cooper sit down. Well, Kucherov specifically. There was that game a couple of years ago. 
uh, against the Ottawa Senators where he sat him down and it was a tie game going to overtime. Uh, Anthony Sorelli uh, ended up scoring the overtime uh, goal to, to save it for Tampa and uh, saved what was an ugly situation becoming even uglier if they would have lost that game with Kucherov uh, nailed to the bench. I, I shudder to think what would have happened. Um, but it, it's not as if... like Here's the interesting thing to me, Ed. It's not as if we haven't seen conflict between... John Cooper and these players before. It's not exactly a secret that at times, specifically early in the relationship, Steven Stamkos and John Cooper just bluntly didn't see eye to eye. There was no love lost between the two. The Kucherov situation, I mean, that was a couple of years ago, but that isn't exactly new here. Sometimes as, as time goes on, players tend to... You know, drop an ear when it, when they start to hear the coach talking and the message gets lost. The remarkable thing through all of this for me, and we all expect Tampa's going to pull out of this thing, maybe next game, who knows, is the staying power of John Cooper with this squad. Like, mm-hmm. coaches, as we all know, hired to be fired, etc. To me, the longevity is remarkable. And I don't know what the secret sauce is here. I don't know what the magic elixir is. I don't know what it is specifically that John Cooper is able to do. Maybe it's more of a comment on the nature of these players. I don't know. But, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen conflict between the coach and the players, but it always works itself out, and then Tampa ends up getting to the Stanley Cup final. Can you, um, from your experience, share your thoughts on the dynamic and the relationship between this coach and that team? Right. So I think, you know, it all, well, when we talk about the magic elixir, you know, sometimes it's winning, right? And, that's really sure. all it is. I mean, I think, you know, when, when the Lightning lost in the first round to Columbus several years ago, you know, John Cooper was on the hot seat. You know, he was seen as the guy who couldn't get him through. And then, you know, they they do something pretty magical in the bubble. And, you know, I, I think that galvanized the team because it was them against the world. And um, I think since then they've, they've lived and breathed that oxygen together with still that same philosophy. You know, and um, that, you know, they're a great team with a lot of talent, but that they still kind of, uh, you know, they, they don't get the marquee necessarily attention that a lot of other teams get. And I think they, they kind of thrive on that. And it's amazing to say that because they've been so successful and not just in winning Stanley Cups, but just in winning games over the past decade or so. But um, I think that's kind of what's galvanized them, the staff and the team. Now, obviously, like you said, there's been some history there. And, you know, Steven was actually pretty, you know, pretty honest last yesterday and kind of being like, you know, you, you got to be delusional to think that, you know, it's just going to happen when something like that happens, you know, that, you know, this is, a, yep. we're in a situation right now where we got to, we got to fight out of it. And it's not just going to happen in one night and the coaches, the players, everyone's got to, you know, play their part. So yeah, I thought that was pretty telling from Steven without necessarily calling out anyone. He, he said, you know, this is kind of all on us. You know, and I know that, you know, obviously, you know, the big three gets attention and it and when John Cooper does that, you know, I don't think John Cooper went into that game thinking he could possibly do that. But I think that when he saw how that game played out, yeah. he saw how some of the, the gameplay played out, especially in the own end. And, and you mentioned the Kucherov benching a few years ago. I mean, the whole message of that was it doesn't matter how great you are. If you don't play a two way game, you know, we're not going to win. And you guys are the leaders. And if you guys aren't going to play that way, then, you know, that sends the message to the rest of the group that it's not that important. So, you know, you go back and look at that Buffalo game, and there were, there were definitely some times where, you know, they were lackadaisical, you know, back in, on the defensive end. Now, having said that, you know, they could be tired. You know, this, this, is, a, this is a rocky part of the schedule. You know, um, they're, they're, they're obviously battling in their own heads right now. But I think John Cooper, the one thing about him is he always knows when to press the right buttons. He's a lawyer, you know, so he doesn't do something <laughs> haphazard. So, so he, he thought about this. He's yeah. been thinking about doing something for, for several weeks now. Now, whether he thought he was going to do something that big, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. But he definitely does not do anything yeah. that's, you know, recovering him for three years now. Like, he just doesn't do anything just to do it. You know, like I said, he's a lawyer. He builds cases. So it wasn't just, you know, he did it for, for several parts. I think he wanted to send a message to those big three, but he also wanted to send a message throughout the lineup, you know, and I think it, it did that, you know, they didn't get the results they wanted to yesterday or you know, yesterday in Carolina, but 
at the same time, you know, I think also, too, the timing of it. You know, you have a back-to-back, so the guys don't have that much time to stew over for three days or something like that. It's like right away you're on a plane, and within a matter of hours you're you're playing another really good team. So um, I think it was definitely, tact, you know, tactic, tactical um, for John Cooper. Mm-hmm. But one thing about him, he knows when to press the right buttons. And at the same time, he's known when not to do something, you know, when to let the room kind of decide itself. And I think you've kind of tried to been doing that for the past couple of weeks. This, this stretch has kind of gone three weeks or so, 10 games or so. So um, when you can really kind of pinpoint, right. uh, you know, their struggles. So, uh, you know, I, I think he, he really has thought about it a lot and, He's given the room time to, to fix it themselves. I think he felt he had to do it. But like you said, when it's when you're winning, everything's rosy. When when the losses seem to mount sure. up, you know that's when the friction kind of happens. Yeah. But you know, um, there's definitely definitely been an interesting couple of days. Winning is the best perfume. We've uh, we've heard yeah. that before. Winning is the best perfume. Um, I want to ask you about Julian Breezewell in a couple of moments that I have left with you, Ed. And I, I thank you for your time. Sure. Um, the the Tanner Janot trade, we probably should have seen that or something similar coming. That's just how Tampa believe. Like when you're looking at like roster construction and what you need for the playoffs, that's always been valued by Tampa. Uh, Breezebois right. and before him his predecessor Steve Eisman shouldn't have been shouldn't have been surprised there. There is a feeling uh, around the NHL. I'm sure you're well aware of it that Breezebois mm-hmm. also wanted to bring in one more defenseman. The names that we've heard include Joel Edmondson, um, as crazy as it might sound, and I don't know how they would even begin to approach doing this deal, Bill Zito and Julian Brisebois, but Radko Gudis as well. Um, uh-huh. Do you think that that was, that Brisebois, like the, the one thing going coming away from trade deadline was you know his inability to add one more blue line? Like, I don't even know what Tampa would have offered. Like, we're at the point now right. where, you know, they're trading 13- and 14-year-old players. Like, the, the draft picks are going down the line and, and down the line. But do you look at, you know, the inability to bring in one more defenseman for the playoff push here as maybe the only downside to Tampa's trade deadline? Yeah, after the after the deadline, you know, I talked to Julian. I asked him exactly that because, you know, obviously, you know, when you look at the way that this team's played, you know, if there's anything lacking, it probably is that defenseman depth, you know. And, you know, especially once they trade Cal Foot, that's, that's another body that you lose who's an NHL body. Yes. So, uh, you know, so I did ask him that. And, you know, obviously this is after the deadline. So he's like, you know, I'm happy with our defensive core. I, I put them up against any other defensive core in the league. You know, he's going to say that after the deadline, right? But I, I do definitely think that they were looking around to get that, to, to, to do that at the end there. You know, and I think that, you know, Again, he's very tactical, just like John Cooper. You know, he maneuvered this trade deadline. It was very slow initially. All of a sudden, it picked up huge steam. They make the Geno trade. I think they wanted to kind of sit back a little bit and see, you know, how these defensemen would become available. You know, like you mentioned, a guy like Edmondson, who, you know, is available, not available, then he's, you know, coming back from injury, you know, too. So, you know, he wanted to maneuver that. Maybe he could get a deal. You know, obviously, too, with their cap situation, you know, there's got to be something else that they can get, whether it's a team, you know, taking other salary, a third team, which they've done in the past, you know, creating that, that kind of deal to, to, to make it work. And I just think that they probably just could have made it work at that point. But I definitely think they, they wanted some kind of upgrade, you know, right now, like, you, you know, you call up a guy like Darren Radish, who had a great, had a great year in the AHL. I don't know if he's a, you know, a guy that necessarily you can depend on in, you know, the second round of the playoffs, you know, as a, as a seventh or eighth defenseman. So, you know, um, and also like, again, like this team has not really dealt with that many injuries. You know, Eric Chernak got, got has been banged up the past couple of days. He's been gone. He's our top right side guy, you know? So all of a sudden, especially on decors, man, like you can get really banged up really fast. You know, I mean, at one point, oh, yes, yeah. you know, obviously for, for two thirds of the game yesterday, they were playing without Victor Hedman, you know, Mikhail Sergeyev in the third period takes a, you know, a, a block shot off his knee. He's, He's hurt, so you know, you're already without Chernak, and all of a sudden you're, you know, at one point there you're about your top three defenseman, arguably, and then all of a sudden you know, uh, yeah. and if, when you're not playing well, and the forwards aren't getting back, you know, in their own zone, you know, that compounds it all. So uh, I definitely think you know this team would have been better if there was definitely a veteran kind of rock kind of guy to, to help out that blue line. Um, I definitely think they would have been in a better shape space right now. And there's there's so many other things that the team probably could use. You know, obviously they went out and they got more depth. You know, on the forward lines, I think that that helps. You know, if you know a little bit of grit, a little bit of sandpaper with those yes. kind of guys too. 
Um, and, and I think that, that that'll help them. That's something they definitely want. So they accomplish that. But definitely, you know, right now, I mean, Cooper talks about it. Julian talks about it. The guys in the room talk about it. You know, and, and, and you see this in Toronto this year because they've done it, is, you know, you're going to win games when it matters the most in the postseason because what you do in your own end. It's not about keep it, it's not about how many True. pucks you put in the goal. It's about how many you keep out. So, and that's really what this team has done over the past few years, and that's really been the, the recipe to, to um, you know, to winning despite all of their skill. You know, obviously your, your best players have to be good. You know, the points, the Kucherov, the Stamkos, the Hedmans, all those guys have to be great no matter what in the postseason to get as far as they've gotten. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's what you keep out more than what you keep in. So, yeah, definitely to answer your question, I definitely think they would have been better off with, uh, with an upgrade there. And it does help when you have someone by the name of Andre Vasilevsky. Um, Ed, you're great. No Thanks so much for this. Really, really, really thorough. Um, really appreciate this. Thanks so much for sharing your insight, man. You are all over it. Thanks so much for this, Ed. Anytime, Jeff. Talk to you later. Ed and Cena from the Tampa Bay Times uh, covering the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've now lost five games in a row. And if for any other team, you might say, sky is falling, chicken little. Oh, what's going on? It's Tampa. Everybody relax. Just maybe don't relax on the Victor Hedman thing. We'll see what happens with the injury there. Hour two on the horizon. David Amber on the other side. Keep it here. Merrick Show, Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Scan, scan, scan. Try to find injury information about a couple of players. Victor Hedman, Tampa Bay Lightning, and Ryan O'Reilly. I haven't mentioned that yet so far. Um, That didn't look good uh, on Saturday. Okay, welcome back to the program. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, um, we're going to talk to Allison Lucan, Seattle Kraken studio analyst. Uh, Don't look now. Um, but the Kraken are flying high again after a little bit of a speed wobble, and this in only year two. And don't look now, but Jared McCann's really hot. Um, he just snapped home his 30th. Now, the question I think we all wonder about the Seattle Kraken, and maybe they're just saying to themselves, we were playing with house money. We don't need to blow our brains out at trade deadline time. But, you know, it wasn't as if Ron Francis really did much of anything at all. I guess it, I guess they did make one decision. They're keeping Carson Soucy for the uh, for the playoff run and the playoffs, and then we'll see what happens afterwards. In the meantime, uh, a couple of big games tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. It is the uh, the West Side Story game, as we like to call it. Every time these two teams match up, it's the Sharks and the Jets. Uh, 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 1, pregame at 7. The Oilers and the Sabres, uh, that one across all of Sportsnet at 7.30. David Amber is the host of Rogers Monday Night Hockey, and he joins me out now. DA, how are you, pal? I'm doing well, and, and before we get to any back and forth, I just want to uh, give you and Elliot a, a nice congratulations. Uh, it's funny, Friday, because our desks, for those that don't know, our desks were probably, what, 15 feet apart, and um, yeah. and listening, you know, having the insiders, you and Elliot, and we would, could do the show and also be throwing to you, and you guys would be breaking news, and let's face facts, of all the trade deadlines you've done, that was probably one of the quieter ones, because you guys were so incredibly yep. vigilant. You know, all over everything, the, the, you know, 10 to 12 days leading up to the deadline. So it was excellent, excellent work by you guys. It was a bit of a quieter trade deadline day for you, but that's because you've done all the heavy lifting already leading up to it. The, for, first of all, thank you, but the, the praise is misplaced. Um, Elliot just crushed it on Twitter all week long. Like, every day was trade deadline day, uh, except for trade deadline day, which is why, and I was making this point going into it, um, you know, my friends would be saying, oh, man, you're going to have to, like, really, like, work overtime to, to make this interesting on Friday. And I kept saying, it's not me and Elliot. We're just sitting there, conversations and, and texts, trying to figure out what's going on. That's kind of like every day. The real heavy lift has to be done by people like David Amber and Carolyn Cameron, Anthony Stewart, Anson Carter, Kevin Bieksa, Ryan Getzlaff joined us. Like, you guys, I'm going def- to deflect this right back to you, D.A., you were the guys that had to do the real work. Elliot and I just kind of sat there with our coffees and, you know, we were, 
you know, half thumbs. And I'm sure every time you looked over at us, all you saw was the top of our heads. You guys <laughs> kind of did all the big work. So the bows are misplaced here. It shouldn't be me wow. and Fridge. It should be you and your panel and everybody else involved and Bukla and Sammy, like all the guys. Yeah, you know what? We were really lucky. We had such a good cast uh, of, of guys to discuss, uh, both react to the trades and have some fun. And a lot of it was, we weren't even talking ho- hockey at the time, right? You bring in a guy like uh, Paul Dissonette and, and Ryan Gutslaff and Colby, my God. <laughs> I, I miss having Colby in studio with us because he is just, he, he so was like, do I. Up, hey? delivering pizzas to every set and acting like a wild man. It was it was actually a lot of fun. We, you know what, for a day that we kind of all went in and said, oh, brother, what are we going to do? You know, seven hours of live TV. We, we found a way to make it sort of work. And, um, you yeah. know, we dug in on hockey when we needed to, and we had some fun in the, in the side as well. So it was a good day. And, um, and to me now, the best part of it is it's over, and we can spend the next, you know, less than seven weeks now digging in on how it's going to shake down in both the East and the West. And the West is maybe a little bit more defined but certainly the, the crapshoot that we're seeing in the Eastern Conference right now for those final two wild cards is amazing. Yes. And now I, I'm, I'm glad you got me there because I wanted to go this direction with you anyhow. And you're a great host. And so you got me to the place that I wanted to go to without me even having to whisper anything to you or take a cue from a producer. So um, speaking of digging in on, you know, the players and the teams and the rosters are set, etc., Sometimes, and I'm going to use Ivan Barbashev as a great example here. So Barbashev scores a couple of goals last night for the Vegas Golden Knights. John the Quick with his first win as a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. They beat Montreal 4-3. So sometimes a trade deadline, it's not the biggest players traded that have the biggest impact. Now, congratulations to Timo Meyer scores his first goal as a member of the New Jersey Devils yesterday. Awesome. Jacob Chikrin, what a home debut. One goal, one assist, a couple of beautiful interviews, and his grandfather is mm-hmm. a star from coast to coast to coast. It was just a, a wonderful night for the Chikrins. You can go back to when the trade deadline really started, I suppose, which was all-star break with the Bo Horvat trade. Um, these are all Patrick Kane goes to the New York Rangers. These are all huge names. Um, but, you know, Ivan Barbashev with a pair yesterday, I was just texting with someone who brought up the point that, you know, maybe the sneaky best move at deadline was made by Vegas bringing in Barbashev. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that our, our researcher at uh, at Hockey Night and, and uh, the NHL on Sportsnet, Stan Narodka, passed to me on Saturday, most points for the remainder of the season from players traded on deadline day going back to 1979-1980, okay? So players moved on deadline day. Who had the biggest impact? Who had the most points going back to 79-80? You, David, are a really smart hockey person. You will never get this. I didn't think this was true. I told Elliot he couldn't believe it either. Do you have a thought on who number one is? Oh, my God. No, I, I honestly, I have no thought. I have no idea. Nobody would. Trust me. I'm going to say this name, and everyone uh, everyone listening or watching right now is going to say, I never would have guessed that name. In 15 games after trade deadline, going from Phoenix to Colorado, 15 games, 20 points, please say hello to Peter Mueller. <laughs> would you have ever da guest peter mueller <laughs> oh my god that's funny that's so really sometimes funny. sometimes no. it's the small ones right it's the, the ones that you go like pat kane is big move jacob trickerin's a big move bull horvat is a big move sometimes it's the small quieter ones right we always focus on like bush goring and what he meant to the islanders sometimes it's just, I mean, uh, I mean, it's funny i remember i I remember a conversation. I'm going to turn this over to you in a second. I remember one conversation I had with Scott Niedermeyer, okay? And we were talking about the 2007 Stanley Cup. And I said, what was the moment or the move that you felt put you guys over the top? I honestly, DA, I thought he would have said, like, bring it in my brother Rob. Or reunite me with my brother Rob. I know what you're going to say here. You know what he said? What am I going to say? You're going to say Brad May. 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100%. He said that was the move that, that put us over the top. Then we knew we were going to win. So it's, yeah. sometimes it's the small ones. It's, it's not the, the huge moves here. 
Uh, and I can add to that story. Um, so we do a weekly segment on Rogers Monday Night Hockey with Chris Pronger and get his thoughts on things. And last yep. week we were talking about the trade deadline. And he brought up the fact that Brian Burke in 2007 was kicking tires on Keith Kachuk, who, as we know, 50-goal scorer, uh, you know, 500-goal scorer, like we're talking an elite, elite player. And they were moving to the mm-hmm. chains, the chains, and they just didn't feel there was going to be a place for him you know, how is he going to fit? And what were you going to have to subtract to make him fit, right? That's part of the equation. And instead, you know, they instead of Keith Kachuk, they add Brad May. And on the surface, you're like, oh, my God, you could have had Keith Kachuk, you had Brad May. And <laughs> it was the perfect piece of the puzzle. And obviously, this isn't a knock on Keith Kachuk. Like, Keith Kachuk would have made the team in fantastic, but it was also... What would the chemistry, not like what in the locker room, but it's more like what were people roles going to be then? Guys who are used to being on PP1, if they were going to have to defer and end up on PP2, would they be sulking? Would they be upset? You know, how differential would guys be with a superstar coming in? Well, it was much, it made much easier when you brought in essentially a utility player, a grit guy, a guy who knew his role, a guy who just gelled with the other guys who were already there. And it was just a simple, perfect fit. And you look at last year's team, right? They didn't go out. The Avalanche didn't go out and add a bunch of superstars. They added three very good players in Cogliano, uh, Manson, and Lekkonen. And Lekkonen, by the yeah. way, they got probably more out of them than they even anticipated. So you're absolutely right. It's not True. necessarily the you know, flashy pickup that works. Sometimes it's the little you know, innocuous thing that people kind of just roll their eyes at. I mean, I'll even throw one this year that maybe will have that impact. I don't know if it will, but... Jordan Greenway for Buffalo. We're going to see him tonight against the Oilers, right? Like, yeah. there's a guy who's had, a, yep. by all accounts, a horrible, horrible season. Hasn't scored in 25 games. He has two goals in 45 games. It's been an absolute mess. But here's a guy with all the physical tools, right? He's big, big, strong uh, presence at 6'6", 230. He's in his prime at 26 years of age. And he's reunited with, you know, a coaching staff that's familiar with him. So, this could be a good fit for Buffalo, stealth and quiet, and, and maybe it's just the right player at the right place at the right time. You know, that's interesting about Greenway as well because I mentioned this on Saturday on Hockey Night. Mike Greer was trying to bring him into San Jose. Like, there was serious interest with the San Jose mm-hmm. Sharks. And again, that's another coaching relationship. That goes back to David Quinn um, when, they're at, uh, w- when they're at BU. And he would have played on a line. He would have played with Brady. Anyway, um, Kachuk, that is. That's, we'll bring it full circle. It's your conversation about his dad. Um, tonight on, uh, on Monday Night Hockey. So it's the Sharks and the Jets, the Oilers and the Sabres. But before I ask you about those... No one's more plugged into Canadian teams than you. I mean, you're like, you know, the, the, the wave rises and falls and rises and falls with the Canadian teams through David Amber and his phone. Um, your thoughts <laughs> on the two Canadian teams here in a second involved in the games. But I look at the Calgary Flames and I watch that game on Saturday night and mm-hmm. I see Daryl Sutter, you know, take another, another swing at the, uh, at the veterans on the squad. And I say to myself, I don't know that there's another team that's as stunned as Calgary is right now about how the season has gone. And I try to grasp for reasons as to why. And the only thing that I keep coming back to is that Oilers series last year. And Mm. it's going to sound harsh, but I wonder if just flat out, it's going to sound really harsh, but I do wonder about it. I think we all do. Did the Edmonton Oilers break the Calgary Flames? At times I feel that way, DA. I really do. Well, it certainly was. I mean, I was there with Kelly Rudy on site, and, and it was a really emotional series. It wasn't just a series. I mean, it meant so much more in many respects. And, you know, yeah. at times they were embarrassed in that series. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl on one leg got, you know, had 17 yep. points in that series. Uh, you know, they gave up 25 goals in five games. And Jacob Marchstrom, let's face facts, this Vesna finalist from a year ago who was sensational and was incredibly good in the series versus Dallas, you know, maybe not as good as Ottinger, but he was good enough to beat uh, Dallas. And, and he yep. was at times facing a lot of, of rubber. Um, he, you know, he, he completely was lost in that series versus Edmonton and he hasn't rebounded since then. So 
I'm not a psychologist. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's in the head of those players. You know, I, I think, I mean, that's the thing though. Like, here's the thing, Jeff. I really thought, I really thought they were going to be better this year. And it's not that I didn't like Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk, but I looked at Uyghur, Huberto, um, um, forget and Kadri, and I just said, "Oh, I like their depth. They're not yeah. so reliant on that top line. I love their blue line." Uh, and maybe something that's lost in the shuffle is Oliver Shillington, who had a real, you know, breakout season last year, has been away with personal yes. reasons all year. Like that's that's not insignificant. But I still just, you know, it's it's unbelievable what's happened. And I guess you could also listen. Uh, were they broken? Or are we being too dramatic in that in that Oilers series? They, they've had what twenty six or twenty seven one goal losses. They've lost what thirteen or something games in overtime and shootout. Like even just you know you move that number over a little bit, right? Like give them four or five of those extra point games as wins, and they're right there. So as bad as they've been, I'm not sure it's as dramatic as the team is completely done. Um, but I'm shocked that it's been a struggle the way it's been, and I'm shocked that a team that had yep. such you know solid goaltending finds themselves what 30th in the league or something in save percentage. So I don't, I can't put my finger on it. And you say I, I rise and fall with the Canadian team. So yeah, I've, I've, it's been it's been a tough watch for Calgary this year, and um, you know it feels like <laughs> the, the, it feels you know like the math as, as Elliot always says, the great Elliot Friedman. You know the math isn't yep. good. If yeah. they need to get to 96 or 97 points, which is what we're staring down, you know, they're going to have to go, what, 15 yeah. and 5, 15 and 4. This is a team that hasn't run out four straight wins in a row all season. And now you're asking them to go 15 and 4. So, you know, I, I'm, my, my level of faith right now in the Flames isn't so high. Yeah, never mind four. I can't remember the last time they had three or even back-to-back wins. Like, that's yeah. that's how far I've got to press, press on my brain. Flames, by the way, in action. Hopefully, for their sake, they can turn things around after Saturday. In action tonight on Sportsnet Flames and Sportsnet West at 8.30 as they face off against the Dallas Stars. Okay, um, thoughts on your games tonight? Sharks and the Jets, the Oilers and the Sabres. Um, quick question about the Jets. I kind of thought they were going to do more. I kind of mm. thought that there was going to be like a Logan, a Logan Stanley to Washington and a Colton mm-hmm. Pareko to, to, to Winnipeg here. Um, both those things were, by the way, very much rumored. Uh, as uh, you know, Every time you'd look over the desk and either me or Elliot had vanished to go make phone calls, those were a couple of things that we were chasing. Neither happened. Um, are you surprised? You know, the Nina Ryder deal was, was a very much a thing two weeks ago. But uh, do you have a thought on, on Winnipeg's moves? Uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, is there a more measured GM in the league than Kevin Sheveldayoff? I mean, he's the, the third longest tenured, and he's all about stability. He's yep. about draft developing and then watching, you know, the, these players that he's drafted and developed become stars. And we've seen that time and time and time again with Shifley and Ehlers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think he has a way about his business. I think he's a very smart guy, and he knows what he's doing, and he's not one of those um, knee-jerk kind of GMs. I also think he probably viewed how his team played for the first, what, you know, 45, 50 games and said, we could win the Stanley Cup. And yes, the last month has been a struggle, but he probably said, I have faith that we can turn it around. I mean, uh, and I'm not sure. I heard you say earlier that that, that, or maybe Elliot said earlier that Winnipeg win on Saturday wasn't a must win. I think it was Elliot who said that, but it was as close to a must win. And I agree, they really needed to sort of stem the tide and feel good about themselves. And the fact that they won a 7-5 game, some people were saying, oh, I'm sure Bonus and, and Woodcroft wouldn't like the video. I bet you Bonus loved the video. I mean, when's the last time he's been able to watch video of his team scoring seven goals, right? I mean, they've been scoring one and two goals True. for as long as I can remember this last month. So, True. listen, it was, it was ugly maybe defensively. There's breakdowns. There's no shame in giving up five goals to the Oilers and certainly scoring seven. Maybe this will get the mojo back for some of their players, which I think is really important. I, I like this Winnipeg team. Um, I, I really do. I think the West is wide open. I think if you go down those eight teams that currently sit in the playoff spots, is there a goalie you would choose over Hellebuck? Yeah, you might argue Ottinger. He's mm. in that conversation. But but certainly, you know, you have one of the top goaltenders in the league. You have a formidable top six. Hopefully, Cole Perfetti will be back soon. And you have a very solid blue line and a Norris Candidate and Josh Morrissey. I really, I think, I, I understood why Kevin Sheveldaff didn't go crazy. And I actually think, you know, they might reward him with some playoff success in, in April and May. Uh, I would love it because it, 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 there is very much a feeling and a sense of it's got to be now. 
Mm-hmm. Next year, there's a lot of key players on expiring contracts. Like, do, do you get that same feeling about the Winnipeg Jets? Like, this this needs to. I listen. I know there are some players that still have term extended. I get it, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of you know Shifley, Wheelers, etc. That um that may not Connor Hellebuck who may not be there um, after next season. There's this guys on expiring deals. Like, I I really do have this. It's got to be now. Sense about the Winnipeg Jets. You share that. 100%. I mean, go up and down their roster. They're not a young team. They have a number of players in their 30s, um, which is ancient in this today's NHL. They just picked up two more guys with a lot of uh, experience, which I guess would be a euphemism for for <laughs> some some time in the yeah. league and need to get a rider in the mess in the cop. So <laughs> I, I definitely think yeah. I, I really do. Um, whenever I say my mom says I'm she's old, and I say, well, you're highly experienced. And she says, yeah, I'm highly experienced. Um, you know what? I... I do think I think this is the time, and I do think the West is absolutely wide open. Quite frankly, I mean, Jeff, if I said any of those eight teams made it to the conference final, would you be shocked? Or if I said any of those eight teams lost in no. the first round, there'd be surprises, nope. but I wouldn't nope. be like, you know, listen, if Boston loses in the first round, if, if you know, Carolina maybe loses in the first round, that, that's a shock. But, you know, you can look at any of those eight teams and say, yeah, there's flaws there, um, but there's, there's strengths there as well. So I think the Jets see an opportunity yeah. here. And, and remember, they, they missed an opportunity. This same core group back in 2018 uh, won game one versus Vegas. Uh, they were leading game two with a few minutes left. And, uh, and Mark Shifley gets robbed by Marc-Andre Fleury. Vegas yeah. goes on and wins that game, wins the next three. They, I, think they won it, I think they won it in five games, and that Cinderella story continued. I think, I think there's part of that winnipeg core who kind of remembers like wow we should have been in the stanley cup final that year we certainly could have been in the stanley <laughs> cup final that year could have been and um it slipped away from us and this is maybe a sort of a, a mulligan for them and it's taken a few years they, they recognize how hard the path is but i do think this is a team with a lot of confidence and you know we're gonna see we'll see what they're up to tonight and as, as you and elliot pointed out like this is one of those games you, you mark two points down you're playing san jose who's flirting with Connor Bedard right now. Yeah, like you, these are games you cannot lose, right? Um, they're not must-wins, but yep. they're you got to have them is how you probably put it. So I'm interested to see that, and we get to see Carlson versus Morrissey, so the matchup's fantastic. Love it. And uh, to the point about your mom and experience, as I'm always reminded when I get my hair cut, Jeff, those aren't gray hairs. Those are wisdom hairs. Which is now <laughs> one of my pet favorite sayings when I'm getting Those are wisdom hairs, Jeff. Those are wisdom <laughs> hairs. All right. Uh, last last one. I know you got a really busy day here. Um, Oilers and the Sabres. Looking forward to this one. Um, uh, on Sportsnet, 7.30, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, we all love the Sabres story. We're all in love with it. You mentioned Jordan Greenway, that they, uh, who they bring in from, from Minnesota. Uh, Tage Thompson's going to be right in there in the conversation, although he's not going to win it, um, for the Hart Trophy. A lot of great individual stories for the Buffalo Sabres, a great team story for the Buffalo Sabres, and... Like Edmonton is just like this freakish team that can, you know, rip off, you know, eight wins in a row and win eight games by eight goals every mm-hmm. single time. And they bring in Matthias Ekholm, who, as you well know, when the puck's in the Oilers zone and Matthias Ekholm is on the ice, it does not get directed towards the net. The shot suppression machine. Your thoughts on this matchup tonight, the Oilers and the Swords? So exciting. I mean, two of the most exciting teams to watch. Um, they score, you know, two of the top three scoring teams, Edmonton's first, Buffalo's third, and two teams that struggle to defend at times and keep the puck out of their net. So I'm all for it. We just saw Edmonton on Saturday night, you know, in a 12-goal game with Winnipeg. I'm all for, you know, let's get another dozen going right here. So it would be really fun to watch. Um, you know, and Buffalo's actually going for the season sweep versus Edmonton. They beat them. Granted, it was way back in October, but they, they needed 46 saves in that game. Um, this is going to be really uh, a tall task for Buffalo. Um, but, you know, knowing the log jam they're in, right, three points out of a wild card, and knowing um, yeah. you know, they have some momentum right now, it's funny to me because you look at Buffalo and you go, how are they doing it? Like the goaltending situation just seems so st- bizarre that they're a team challenging for the postseason. I think it's going to be super exciting. Anytime you get a chance to see Connor McDavid play, you take it. He's on a 10-game point streak, oh. right? And Yeah, it's not, not just that, Jeff. I'm going through it, like getting prepping for the show tonight. He's on a 10-game point streak, and he has 25 points in those 10 games. So it's not like he's just getting an incidental assist here, you know, no, second. Yeah. He's putting up three, four points a night, and no big deal. Here we go. 
you know, and, and Leon Dreisaitl seems to be playing his best hockey of the year as well. He's riding a 12-game point streak. So, uh, to me, there's no shortage of superstar talent there, and both teams jockeying for positioning and, and in Buffalo's case, getting into the postseason. So I'm, I'm pumped for tonight. It's going to be super, uh, you know, it's two very important matchups and some super talented teams. So let's get it going. Cassie, I know, was having struggles getting let's her get playing it. out of Calgary to get to Toronto. So let's hope she makes it to Toronto. Hopefully she's landed oh. by now. Yeah. Uh, let's go, Cass. Let's uh, yeah. right from the airport, right to the uh, right to the studio, and uh, get her made up and and uh, and a, a fresh suit and get her out there. Um, yeah, all right, we look forward to seeing you and the whole crew. So, uh, Anson and Yans tonight. Yeah, um, unless they've had some flight issues, but I don't know if any of those uh, scenarios are coming from sunny down south, so they should be okay. Um, but yeah, okay. no, we're all so you uh, usual crew. Can I can I give you an assignment for tonight with Anson? Absolutely. Okay, so there are whispers out there about Atlanta mm-hmm. and an NHL team. You got to, <laughs> over the course of the night, I don't know how you apply it out of them, but you got to play, play dentist here and try to pull it out of Anson Carter, see if he's behind any of it. Yeah, most of those whispers are coming from him, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so that. maybe it'll be easy. Okay, very well. <laughs> that, yeah, well get, that's uh, awesome. Uh, we'll thanks. See where we can dig up. That'd be pretty cool. I, I mean, you and I are the same vintage, Jeff. We remember the Atlanta Flames back then. It was be- the Flames. I, I remember oh, a little bit totally. better than the Thrashers, but uh, you know what I'm saying. I like how you gave both of our ages a really soft landing there. Oh, we're both of the same vintage. This has been really good for uh, for Eagle. There's experience and wisdom, and uh, this is good vintage. These are all ways of dancing around. You and I being old, DA, but yeah, there it is. Um, thanks, pal. You be good. We'll be we'll be tuned in tonight. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Take care. There he is, David Amber, the great DA. Uh, Sharks and Jets, Oilers, Sabers. Uh, on Rogers Monday Night Hockey tonight, pregame gets underway at 7 o'clock. The puck drops just after 7.30. Um, Jets and Sharks on Sportsnet 1 and the Oilers and Sabres on Sportsnet. Uh, okay, I'm going to bring in Matt Marchese here and and have him listen to me. <laughs> Watch this. My favorite thing to do, bring people into a conversation and not let them talk. Uh, welcome to my career. Um, hello, Matty. How are you? Oh, by the way, Matty, how was Friday for you? It was it was fun. Uh, some in studio guests, Justin Cuthbert, who does the fan morning show on uh, on our flagship here in Toronto. Um, he yep. he and I uh, waxed poetic for two hours as we tried to kill uh, some time talking about the lack of moves during the trade deadline. But it was good. It was uh, it was a nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually a really easy day when you have the the guests in studio. I mean, you can have a little bit more fun, and that's what it was. We were just trying for to have sure. some fun because there wasn't a lot going on. Uh, so I was a lot less busy than you were. How yeah. about that? How was that? Well, I wasn't a whole lot busy. I was just having like what if conversations and are you guys doing this and are you doing that? And if so, at what time? Like it was a big day on the phone. Keep your um, keep your iPhones charged on that one. But uh, essentially, you know, I was making the point, the um, the least trade deadline feeling day of the whole week was trade deadline day. Mm-hmm. Every other day was a circus, right? Every other day was, you know, elephants, lions, and zebras, and giraffes, and bears, oh my, um, except for Friday. Okay, so I mentioned this off the top with DA, uh, and I don't expect you to get any of these, but just for the purposes of, of having the conversation, and I, again, like I'll use Bar- Ivan Barbashev and his two goals last night for the Vegas Golden Knights as the uh, the jumping off part of this talk. So... Stan Derod could have slipped me this on Saturday when I when I arrived. Stan is a longtime hockey researcher, um, used to be media relations director with the Saints in the American Hockey League, color analyst, has been around hockey forever, works for a number of NHL teams, um, doing research for them, um, and, and just all-around great guy. I always cherish every conversation I have with Stan because he's both, um, he's both uh, educational, and he has this he has this sense of humor that is unique in the industry and he might be the world's greatest Gilbert Gottfried fan. Anyway, that's Dan Narodka. So he hands me this on Saturday when I get into to hockey night. Uh, most points for the remainder of the season by players traded on deadline day going back to 1979 and 80 because it's not always the blockbusters that, you know, that, that gets you there. And I mentioned to DA that number one with 20 points was Peter Mueller, who goes from the Phoenix Coyotes to the Colorado Avalanche. 
Yes, they were called the Phoenix Coyotes. This is back to 2010. You have any idea who else is on that list? Matt, do you want to throw a dart at anyone close? The, there's there's one guy, and he's probably not on the list, but for whatever reason, this guy sticks out to me. I feel like because he's okay. probably been dealt a couple of times, um, two guys actually come to mind. One, Mike Sillinger has to be on this list. It just has to be because he was traded so many Mike S- Mike Sillinger is not on this list. Wow. I'm surprised. The You're other right. guy was Lee Stemmier. You're right. Oh, Maddie, you're on it. Lee Stepniak is tied for third. Wow. So that that least so okay, so do you remember so do you remember that one? So that one was oh wow. So he goes from Toronto to Phoenix. That was after he had gone from St. Louis to Toronto in the Alex Steen trade. That's because Toronto was looking for a right hand shot on the power play. But this is afterwards when Toronto moved him to Phoenix, he had 18 points in 18 games after trade deadline. Well, here we go. Let me let me let me uh let me read some of these off to you and get your get your thoughts on it. There's a couple of headline players here, but these are all like if you're a hockey fan, you know all the names, but it's not as if these guys are headliners. So Peter Mueller's in first with 20 points. In mind you, only 15 games. But do you know what's more impressive than that, Matty Marchese? What's that? Number two. Number two, who goes from Calgary to the New York Islanders and gets 19 points in only 12 games. Ladies and gentlemen, coming down the aisle for your New York Islanders, Robert Reichel. Wow. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have got Trade that one. deadline acquisition. <laughs> like all of these, like no one's getting these. This is this is like the toughest list. Um, also with 19 points, albeit in 20 games, Brian Campbell, when he went from Buffalo to San Jose. Then your Lee Stempniak, uh, who's in a who's in a in a cluster with Russ Courtnell, uh, Wojtek Volski, who's a great trainer, by the way. Uh, Steve Tambellini, Andrew Kopp, that was last year, going Winnipeg Rangers. Uh, Jeff Halperin, JT Miller, and your aforementioned Lee Stempniak. See, but it's not as if any of these players are like, maybe JT Miller, but super headliners here. And Peter Mueller um, leads the bunch. Last year, just for, for giggles, uh, Andrew Kopp was number one with 18 points past trade deadline to the remainder of the season. He played 16 games, got 18 points for the Rangers. That was such a great find for them. That was such a great deal for the uh, the New York Rangers. Uh, you want to have a guess who's in at number two? Oh, last year. I honestly wouldn't even... Deadline like, last year. Are, yeah, these names are so... No, I don't want to say obscure, but like I couldn't even hazard a guess. Okay. This one came in around... 2:30 Eastern. I remember because this is one of the ones that I was that uh, that I broke late. Ricard Raquel from Anaheim to Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, that one does make 13 a lot of sense. points in 19 games, and then it was Arturi Lekkinen with nine points in 16 games. Oscar Sundquist, who moved again at uh, at trade deadline. Um, then you get a whole bunch of Victor Rask and Brett Kulak and Nick Letty and Max Domi, Daniel Sprong, etc. Johan Larson, Morgan Barron, Dominic Simone, Jake Wallman, who, by the way, when you talk about sneaky good, sneaky good trades, Maddie, like really sneaky good trades, that was one. Jake Wallman from St. Louis to Detroit, maybe not so much last season, but Jake Wallman this year. Now, mind you, he got rewarded with a nice contract. Jake Wallman, as we look at, you know, maybe like we talk about comeback players of the year and what they're able to achieve. Uh, I know we'll throw Daniel Sprong into that conversation. I'll talk to Allison Lucan about Seattle in a second. Jake Wallman had a dynamite year for Detroit. And we all thought, oh, yeah, the contract's going to expire and he's going to go test. Yeah, not so fast. Yeah, and they got Sunquist in that deal and a second-round pick. So it was it was a very fruitful deal. Uh, it was Nick Letty and Luke Wikowski going totally. the other way. Yeah, pretty shrewd by yep, Steve Irons. bingo. All right. Uh, enough of me reading lists to you. Um I would say great job. I didn't hear a lot about it, but it sounds like everybody on the station did great. So well done. I know that in Toronto, uh, the fan uh, 590 turned the station upside down for trade deadline, and it sounds like it sounds like everybody had fun despite the fact that there weren't exactly a bevy of trades 
to talk about. Um, so great job, Maddie, as you continue to progress to steal my job one day. Uh, we'll hit a break. We're going to come back and talk about the Seattle Kraken. Allison Lucan, Kraken studio analyst. Um, not exactly the busiest team at trade deadline, with all due respect, Jacob Megna. Um, in exchange for a conditional fourth-round draft pick. Not exactly rocking the foundations of anything near or far from trade deadline, but that was the only move uh, by Ron Francis. Uh, We'll talk to Allison about the Seattle Kraken. Uh, What's next? Expectations? And are they playing with house money here? Get on the Kraken page here in a second. Allison Lucan on the Merrick Show in a second. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so I got a good chuckle out of something here. Allison Lucan in a couple of seconds. Uh, Maddie Boychuk at Exiles at Exiles Usher just tweeted me this, and I've been laughing ever since. This goes back to my conversation with Elliot to kick off the show today. Uh, pardon my American naivete, but quote: "Here's the Canadian tire list." Made me laugh. I can't imagine ever needing so many tires that I need a list. Does Elliot drive an 18-wheeler? Does he own a NASCAR team? What in the world is going on up there? <laughs> i got to stop assuming that I'm just talking to Canadians here when I talk because plenty of people listen online. And just so everyone's aware, to our neighbor's stateside, Canadian Tire is just a department store. Um, Allison Lucan uh, joins me now, uh, Seattle Kraken analyst. Uh, Allison, you've spent uh, plenty of time in both countries. Um, whenever you live in one country, you always have an ironic detachment away from the other. You know, as Mike Myers once said, um, Canadians per capita are funnier than Americans because Americans watch TV, but Canadians watch American TV. And so there's an ironic distance between the viewer and the event. When you look at Canada, before we get into hockey, what do you look at and say, what the heck is going on up there? Well, you know, I, I didn't realize we were going to have a culture lesson here to start, Jeff. But uh, let's see, what the <laughs> heck is going on up there? Um, you know, it's the OUs. It's not color. It's it's not favor. It's favor. <laughs> yes, it it's is. Color. So let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's it's funny too because we got the, we had this. Um, uh, we had this merchandise made for the 32 Thoughts podcast, and you know how I'm always going on about, you know, change the color of the ice. Uh, there's too much white on a screen. It's harsh on the eyes. The ice is white. The boards are white. Uh, the jerseys are white. The helmets are white. It's just too much. And so they made this. This has got to be a goof on me. So one of the hoodies that we had made, uh, I got it back, and it just it just says colored ice, which is one of the things I mentioned that I always stump about. Um, but it wasn't the Canadian C, uh, C-O-L-O-U-R-E-D. It was C-O-L-O-R-E-D. It's like, you just use the American spelling of this thing <laughs> for this merch that we're trying to sell. And I guess I get it, but who knows? Um, well, I'll tell you one thing. If there's going to be one team that lobbies for and is successful with changing the color of the ice, I'm guessing it's probably the Seattle Kraken, uh, one of the more progressive and forward-thinking teams in the NHL. But i got to ask you about trade deadline with Ron Francis here. Pretty quiet. No, let me amend that, Allison. Really quiet. (laughs) Is there a sense that Seattle is either... like Is Seattle just really happy with their team, or... Do they feel like they're playing with house money and they don't want to mess anything up? Which which one is it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both of those. You know, this is a group that we, this this team, this coaching staff was asked pretty much every day last week because we were in a different city almost every day. What are you going to do at the trade deadline? What do you think? And there was a very high degree of genuineness when guys talked about loving each other and wanting to play together and believing in the group that got them to where they are now, which is in a playoff spot, being the group to carry it out. And, you know, I don't think Hmm. that this is a team that is in the right spot yet with all the competing priorities that Ron Francis has to go all in on a big ticket free agent. So 
they're not going to go in and just add depth. That's what they have. That's what's gotten them to where they are. Um, and I think if they sure. had subtracted, if they had subtracted from this room, I would have been concerned. We 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 talk about this all the time. What does any move do to a room? I mean, you know, even New York, you could argue, is that part of the the scenario there that's going on? So. I think right. le- leaving let be, you know, Andre Burakovsky started skating on Friday. He's, he's skating today. So he's hopefully closer to coming back than not. That's an add back. Um, and, and I honestly, I was not shook or disturbed by what Ron Francis did or did not do come that 3 p.m. deadline. You know, one of the I, I'm I'm with you. Um, and if you know Ron Francis, none of this should shock anybody, uh, as Allison mentions. Um, there is one name that I did wonder about, too, considering that this is, you know, year two of the Seattle Kraken experience. I really wondered about Carson Soucy. How he's mm-hmm. on an expiring deal. There are a lot of teams that were interested. Um, the Edmonton Oilers, very interested in Carson Soucy. Uh, I would have imagined that... Um, you know, the two Sault Ste. Marie boys, Kyle Dubas and Ron Francis, probably would have had a conversation about Carson Soucy because the Maple Leafs called on just about every defenseman, just to even just to see what was out there. Um, Julian Brisebois was looking for one more defenseman as well, and I'm sure there are plenty of other teams that I'm leaving out here. But the fact of the matter is, I would imagine that Ron Francis would have had a, had plenty of inquiries on Soucy, who whose contract is expiring. Um, at the end of the season and would have been much valued by a lot of other teams. I don't know that there have been any conversations about Susie and an extension. Jerry Johansson is the uh, is the agent on that one. Um, the decision to keep Susie, your thoughts on uh, what I'm making out to be a big deal. I know he's a bottom-pairing guy, but still, it's a, a point of curiosity here. Seattle's decision to keep Carson Susie Allison. Yeah, you know, again, I didn't mind it. You know, we certainly don't know what any conversations may or may not have been. Um, And I think that if the price wasn't what Ron Francis and his team deemed the player was worth, and you weigh a potential impact of if that player leaves this group, Mm. um, holding Pat, again, isn't awful. Now, you know, they did add Jacob Megna. That was the one move that that happened here close to the deadline. So there was going to be an extra defender there on the back end should a move have been made. But again, you know, I just, as I looked around and, you know, we, you and I both, we've seen teams add, we've seen teams remove, we've seen teams hold pat. And I just, I just feel like the buy-in was so strong that if there was only a subtraction and not an addition, I don't know that that's a risk that you take with this team. Hmm. Um, so how is how is Seattle found it again? Like I'm a I, I I think we all look at this team and you know one of the players that jumps out right away is you know Jared McCann you know he's pop thirty now and that's awesome. But how has this team been able to you know go through turbulence and come out of the other side and just get hot again? Like I I know this is the dreaded and all teams hate this the dreaded four game week. Um, but, you know, step one is out of the way. They beat Colorado. Uh, Anaheim on the horizon, then that pesky Ottawa Senators squad still, too. So it's a, a big week on the horizon here um, for Seattle. But how they've been able to pull themselves out of what was looking like it might have been a little bit of a tailspin. Yeah, you know, we, we keep talking about depth. It's the narrative of this group this year. But I think that the depth is the key because it never allows for panic to set in. And we've talked about that on the scoring side so much this season. You know, if one line isn't going, that line doesn't freak out because eventually a different line steps it up. It's even happening on the goaltending. I mean, we've had two games um, in the past, what is it, five now, where there's been a change of goaltenders for Seattle mid-game and the other player steps up and, and plays well in their stead and then takes the next start and gets a win. So, you know, I think that this group, that consistency that will come, if it's not going, if your game isn't going, there's someone else who's going to find it. And I think you saw that really personify last night in Colorado because to me, and we all know, I mean, I've tried to do stuff in Colorado that I do at normal altitudes and it's just not happening. Um, <laughs> that group was, was living in the mile high city for sure, it seemed, but they stuck with yeah. it. And then they come back with just three and a half left to go. They pushed, they owned that third period, they bring back the tie, and then they fight through to get an overtime win that maybe didn't seem so certain early in that game. So 
it just the consistency and the depth allows them to not freak out. It is it is fascinating too, right? How much there already is that poise with the uh, with the Seattle Kraken. He, here's the other thing that I that I wonder about. Third to me in the Pacific feels like the perfect spot for Seattle, and I think you know where I'm going with this one. Um, home record twelve fifteen and three, okay, <laughs> but away record twenty one nine and three. Uh, if there's one team out there that's fine with not starting the playoffs at home, it's the Seattle Kraken. Why are they so different on the road? <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think we could offer platitudes <laughs> of they're away from things that pull at their time. They're able to be more connected as a group. All the things people like you and I usually say. Um, I don't know if that's the only ingredient. I don't know if it's that now because just like they can rely on their depth, they know that when they're on the road, they're playing really well. So it just increases that confidence and that comfortability more. But but it really is crazy. You know, I, I put out on Twitter last night that this team has swept four road trips, including that seven-game one, and not against the, the lowest level of competition either. So it's it's pretty staggering what they've been doing. It all just seems to come together when they're away from Seattle. It is remarkable. By the way, um, uh, a non-Seattle note, Sheldon Keefe, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, saying a couple of moments ago, Ryan O'Reilly will be out with a broken finger and is going on LTI. That is a tough one for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oof, that one is... Harsh with the broken finger, Ryan O'Reilly to LTIR. Oof. And, you know, now we're we're also, you know, we're wondering about, you know, Victor Hedman in Tampa as well after that Svechnikov hit. But nonetheless, um, back to the Seattle Kraken here. That's just a, a, a quick aside. So when you look at, you know, so far, you know, you get the trade deadline. And it's like, okay, all the teams are made. This is who you're heading into the playoffs with. Uh, last question for you. Who would you say, if you could pull out one person and maybe that's unfair with a team like Seattle but I'm gonna do it anyway damn it Allison if you could pull out (laughs) one person and you would say this is our MVP this team can't do it without this one player who would that player be for you oh that is a tough tough question you know it's names that rush through my mind are obviously Jared McCann Um, I think that Alexander Wenberg is having a highly underrated season um, but I think, uh, uh, you know, Yanni Gord, obviously a core of this identity. But I really think it might be a sneaky, quiet pick like Jordan Eberle or Jaden Schwartz. Uh, those two in yeah. terms of, I think we under we forget how good they are. Um, and I think that Jordan Eberle has been a huge piece in helping Jared McCann have the season he's having with tremendous respect to Jared McCann. I think those two are part of what happens on the ice. I think they do a lot of little things that maybe people don't notice. And I think they're a huge part of what's happening in that room and all that magic and stuff that we don't necessarily know why it works, but it does. When I talk to players, those are names that consistently come up as being part of why this group is fighting the way they are and why they are so close with one another as a team. You're great. Um, and by the way, uh, we have a mutual love and admiration for Shannon Goldman. And, you know, the Gossip Girl trade breaking bit yes. was to me like one of the highlights of trade deadline. Man, she's awesome. Uh, star, she I, I always I always used to say star in waiting, but I think she's kind of there now. That was uh, yeah. that was awesome. And uh, she's you and her two thirds of the Too Many Men podcast. And uh, as we like to say, we are here for it. Um, Allison, as always, thank you so much for stopping by. Um, Seattle continues to be one of the best stories in the NHL and enjoy it. And we'll catch up soon. Sounds good, Jeff. I'll send you a Too Many Men sweatshirt and you can send me a colored ice one in return. Well, would you want the U in there, or do you want the Americanized wrong wrong spelling? Just write it in there on a piece of tape and stick it in the middle. <laughs> I think I might have to do that. The great Allison Lucan uh, joining me here. Thanks, Allison. You be well. All right, uh, there she goes, Allison Lucan, uh, Seattle Kraken studio analyst. But uh, yeah, the news of the day as it relates to injuries on this Monday afternoon slash morning, depending on where you're, uh, where you are right now. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly to LTIR with the broken finger. This is the injury that goes back to Saturday. 
Holy smokes. Like, is that not like the most maple leaf thing ever? It isn't, it isn't the first time that we've seen this happen with, you know, trade deadline acquisitions with the Maple Leafs. Uh, I'm old enough and many listening right now are old enough to remember the, uh, the Doug Gilmore acquisition at trade deadline. That would have been the time, I think, when they loaded up on everyone, including Brian Leach. And the game against Calgary, Dave Lowry just backed into him innocuously. And that was it for Doug Gilmore. And that was the end of the season. Might have been his first shift. As a, as a reacquired member of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but Ryan O'Reilly to LTIR with the broken finger, not so good. Um, we'll stand by to see what happens here with uh, Victor Hedman. He was hit in yesterday's game by Andrei Svechnikov um, and went, you know, sliding into the boards in the in in, uh, in Tampa's own end and did not look good. When you see the the nature of the concern by someone like Steven Stamkos, who was one of, if not maybe the first on the scene when that happened, you know that it's a bad thing. So our fingers are so crossed there that Hedman uh, is as okay as he can be after getting hit the way that he did um, by Andre Svechnikov of the Carolina Hurricanes. All right, first day back after trade deadline. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Whether you're listening across the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on 360 or Sportsnet Now, thank you. It is glad to be back in the chair. Uh, thanks to Allison Lucan, Seattle Kraken studio analyst. The big thumbs up there. David Amber from the NHL on Sportsnet. Don't forget, a pair of pair of games tonight on Sportsnet 1. It is the Sharks and the Jets. On Sportsnet, it is the Oilers and the Sabres. Look forward to that pregame at 7 Eastern. Ed and Cena from the Tampa Bay Times catching us up on the drama in Florida. And Elliot Friedman kicked it off with the very latest from behind the scenes around the NHL from Hockey Night and 32 Thoughts. Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese, everyone that brings this thing together, thank you very much. Merrick Show back on the air tomorrow, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have a great rest of your day. Six games tonight in the NHL. Enjoy.